Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, mean it this time. Don't lie to them like you did last week. Tell them it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible uh, to follow along. So if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers or our staff will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Three of you think that Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 11. And if you're new to the Bible, you can start in the right and turn left, and you'll find it much faster. You can go two-thirds of the way through. You'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be in John chapter 11, starting verse 17. We've been in this series uh, for the past several weeks, and we'll be on for the many weeks to come. And... um, in this series we've entitled in the book of John so that you may believe so uh, when you're at verse 17 you can say amen let me know you're there verse 17 says this now when Jesus came he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Bethany was was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, and Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The question that echoes from then till now that we must wrestle with, do you believe? believe this. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I thank you that every single time we open the Bible, we have an opportunity to see you more clearly. And as we see you, we'll believe that you are who you say that you are. And you can do what you say you can do. And that by believing, we will have life in your name. I pray that over and over again, you would show us exactly who you are for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. This passage is a famous passage and oftentimes um, gets read or taught. and, And 
maybe you're not familiar with it. Maybe, maybe this story is, is something that you're not totally um, uh, privy on. And so let me explain a little bit what happens before, what happens after the passage that I just read, because this story is one of the most famous stories and one of the most important passages in all of Scripture and one of the most important statements that's ever been made. Jesus has a friend, his name is Lazarus, and Lazarus is sick, and he gets report that he is ill and that he is going to potentially die. And ultimately, the story goes on where Jesus will travel there, and, and we'll get to some of that, uh, what happens around that event, but he will ultimately raise Lazarus from the dead. And this story ripples throughout time, this miraculous sign that Jesus performs. And, and yet there's some kind of things that happen around this particular situation uh, that causes us to wrestle with, how do I apply this particular passage to my life? How do I view this Passage And so what can happen, and, and this happens in Bible studies, this happens in, uh, how, many, how many of you have been in a, a Bible study before? How many of you have uh, been around, uh, you, maybe your Bible baby or felt bored kid? And, and what happens is, is, is you'll look at the characters in the story and you'll begin to try to extrapolate maybe a principle or you'll infer the emotion or intention of the characters in the story and you might miss the point of the story. See, it's interesting to me that, that Jesus, uh, and, and maybe that's how it happens. People go, well, I find it interesting or what I perceive in this passage to be. Jesus gets word that his friend is sick, and then he does something completely peculiar if you don't know the rest of the story. If you, if you heard that your close friend was sick, you would respond to them as quickly as possible. And the response would indicate the depth of the relationship. Amen? So if someone you heard they're sick, you would text them, you'd call them, you shoot them, pray hands, like, hey, I, I, I hope you're feeling better. Uh, or, or, or maybe if you heard you're, you got a phone call from the principal and there's been an accident at the school, uh, a little Susie has fell off the jungle gym and she's got a, a broken uh, limb and, and, and it, it was a terrible sight to see. If that was the call that you got, you would quickly run. We'd see some moms burst out of here. Where is she? No, uh, no thought, no talk. They're running out of here and the depth and intimacy of the relationship would, uh, would indicate the closeness uh, how they respond to it. And yet the Bible says, uh, he, Jesus gets word and they describe it this, the one in whom you love is ill. He's, you know what Jesus does? He waits two more days. And you're like, what? What, what, do you, what do you mean? And, and, and Martha's gonna even uh, bring it up uh, when he shows up four days later. It takes him a, a bit to get there, but four days he's been in the tomb and, and Martha comes out and, and says this. She's like, you know, if you'd showed up two days ago, uh, if you showed up a, a little earlier, if you hadn't wait, uh, I'm a little frustrated. With, you ever get frustrated with just the pastor? Okay. Right? She's going to have some things to say because she doesn't know the story. And yet, even before they get to 
Bethany. See, there, there's some conversation around if they should go. See, things have ramped up, and the people who want to kill Jesus are, are setting out to do just that. It's been years of him causing trouble. It's been years of them threatening. They barely escaped the last time that they uh, were around the religious leaders or when they were in Jerusalem. And they've been on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And they know Bethany's just two miles outside of Jerusalem. I mean, I mean, it's, it's like the sign when you leave Buellton, you see the sign that says two miles to Solvang. So very close. So just through the trees is Jerusalem. Amen? Are you with me? And so Bethany is close by, and they know if they go visit Lazarus, then the people are going to get word, and it is a quick journey, and they will be on top of them, and there's some debate around whether or not they should go. And even the disciples are starting to go, well, is he really that sick? And Jesus will even make a statement. He goes, this sickness does not lead to death. And they'll be like, well, then uh, I don't think we should go. Like, because ultimately it could lead to our death. And so they debate. They're even saying things like, Jesus, the centurion came, and you didn't even have to go to heal his servant. You just spoke. You have power over time and space. You could heal him from a distance. No need for us to go. And then Jesus is going to say to them that Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they go, well, if he's fallen asleep, then he'll wake up and recover. And then he speaks to them plainly. He says, he's actually died. In this two days, he waits. He says, now he has died. And so we'll go. They're like, wait a second. Now, now we're going to go? Right now, you're going to do this? And then there's even a conversation at the end. And I love the, the, the sarcasm that comes through the text. The last line uh, here in this kind of stanza of them waiting, it says, So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. It, it, it was like this. It was if they were, were, were standing there and they know that there's a threat coming. And Thomas is still not like, I don't know if I want, I don't know if like I'm with you guys. You know what I mean? Like, like if this works out well, you know, those, th that guy at the party, he's like, if this works out well, I'm in. But if, but uh, you know, if, if the cops show up, you know, <laughs> like, 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 I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting in trouble with you don't look at them don't look at them right they're like if this works out for me i'm in if this goes bad for you guys i'm gonna watch and i, I i'm i'm gonna let you know that that was a bad idea later and so he's just outside and you can imagine the scene in the movie they all decide well i guess we're going they walk out the door thomas is like still in there by himself and then like it's the scene in the movie where he just speaks says talks to himself out loud you know what that's like when you do that with you, right? Uh, side note, you know it's okay to talk to yourself? It's even okay to answer yourself, as long as you don't say, huh? Right? Uh, anyways, so, uh, so, so he just basically speaks out. He goes, well, I, let us go with him that we may die too. And you know it's sarcasm that comes up through because when Jesus is actually arrested in the story, they all flee. He's not actually talking of boldness, let us go. He's the one on the fringe. 
And later, he's going to be the one who doubts. He gets a nickname, Doubting Thomas. He wants empirical evidence of the resurrection. And they tell him, we've seen him raised. He says, unless I touch his side, unless I put my hands in his wounds, I will not believe. And yet Jesus obliges him and allows him to do it. See, Jesus will be what you need in order that you may see who he is. And that's good news. Amen. So maybe you're that back row follower. That's where I'd be sitting too. Anyways, uh, and and so uh, maybe that person that's just outside, I don't know. I'm skeptical. I, I don't know if this is the right thing. Can I just tell you that Jesus will journey with you as well? And he doesn't cut you off. And he'll give you exactly what you need in order that he may bring you to full belief in who he is. And yet most of the people in this story, that's, that's essentially what happens here is we're looking at this text and maybe we'll, we'll extrapolate something like that. Don't be like Thomas. Don't be sarcastic. Or, 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 or maybe you'll extrapolate a principle from this text and go, and go, don't be hypocritical like the disciples where they're wishy-washy arguing with Jesus because you've never argued with Jesus, right? And, and, and yet, don't be like that. Be like... Yeah, but here's the problem with that. You are like that, aren't you? Right? When you say, don't be like the disciples, you are like the disciples. As hypocritical as they were, you would be. Someone say amen to that. As double-minded, as conflicted, as doubtful, as not understanding the full breadth of the story. You get locked into your perspective. And although you may want to project yourself as, as I want to be the hero in the story. You ever notice that all the movies that you watch, you tend to be the hero in the story? You ever notice that? Do you notice you're never cast member three? <laughs> you're, 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 never, you're never like the people who, whose part doesn't matter. You don't know their name. They're just sitting in the cafeteria. You're the one at the main table, aren't you? Right? It's all going to work. Out. Is this just me? Right? Every story, you project yourself into the story. And what will happen is you'll actually miss the point of the story because ultimately this is not about you extrapolating what the disciples did inferring on their emotions or maybe trying not to be like them the point of this particular passage is that you may see the point of this passage and this passage like all others is all about Jesus let's try that again it is all about Jesus and that's good news. And so when I read this passage, I don't, I don't look at the principles of or infer on the other characters. I look to the main character and Jesus gives us the point. He says, why is it? He says, this, this illness does not lead to death. Jesus gives us insight into what will happen. He says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Why is this happening? For the glory of of God. And and then if you're not careful, you'll read something like that. And then whatever difficulty you're going through, you'll kind of, you'll kind of project it in and you'll say, see what I'm going through is for the glory of God. No, what you're going through is because you're a bonehead, right? (laughs) 
Amen, right? Some of us, let's just be honest, sometimes we'll project, we go, see, my, my thing is like that thing, and this, this is for the glory of God. It's like, no, you are stupid, and you made a bad decision, and the glory of God will be you realizing how stupid you were and repenting, which means to change the way you think, you bonehead, and pull yourself out of this through the power of God, and then ultimately, he'll get glory as you turn from your wicked ways and follow after him. Somebody say amen. That, that was good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam, right? Uh-huh. Should I stomp my foot next time, preach with more of a southern accent than I already have? Uh-huh. Right? Like, like, like that's just it. So what happens is, is, is we'll look at this and go, my thing is their thing, and it's not. The point of this, that God may be glorified through it, that you may see that he may, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. This all happened that you may see the glory of who Jesus is. And that's difficult. Because, because I can't e extrapolate and go, what, Jesus, why would you wait two more days? Because he wanted to remove all doubt for who he was. Why does he wait two more days? So that Lazarus would die. And that he would be put in a tomb in four days. When they go to the tomb, there's even this, uh, the, uh, the, the King James Version says, he's, he stinketh by now, Right? You go look it up. I know you don't know where King James Bible is at right now, but you can find it on your phone. Okay, right? So he, he, he stinketh by now. He removes all doubt. Four days, no one has never heard of that. They've heard rumors that Jesus has raised people from the dead, but maybe, maybe they were just asleep. We can't confirm that. Uh, maybe they just got better. They recovered. Four days. Four days. He shows up. Martha runs out. Notice the contrast between Mary and Martha. See, there's another story, where, and, and you probably do. If you've been around the church for a while, you, you start going, well, I'm a Martha, well, I'm a Mary, and, and, then, and then all the Marthas get mad at all the Marys because they don't do anything. And <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> it's just Bible. Anyways, uh, and, and they're all, and so people go, oh, man, I, I, I'm just a busybody, and, and like I need to do something. And, and yet, Sometimes we, we criticize those like, hey, you need to come in and worship and, and you need to be one of those people. But yet we see the strengths and weaknesses of the two and the two contrasting story because Martha's the one that comes out. Mary's so emotionally distraught, she can't even leave her seat. And so yet Martha comes out and says, hey, uh, and, and starts to, hey, you know, I, I'm a little frustrated with you. Right? Like, uh, I, I thought we were friends, okay? So uh, I, I know uh, that has to be for something. But uh, listen, uh, uh, J-Dog, if, had, had, uh, if you had been here a couple days ago, uh, we wouldn't be going through this. And she says, but, but I know that whatever you ask, God will hear it and grant it. She has that much belief in who Jesus is. She doesn't know the full part of it. She says, I know that whatever you ask, God will give it to you. And he says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know. I know at the last days. She gives another little glimpse that she has. I know at the last days, at the resurrection, he will rise. And then Jesus makes this claim. I am the resurrection and the life. 
What's he saying? I mean, what's he saying? This is the fifth of the I am statements that John writes in this book. And you have to remember the purpose of why John is even writing this story, why you even know this story, why thousands of years later we're reading this story that's been going viral for thousands of years. The fifth, he starts in John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. What does that mean? It means if you are hungry, if you feel as though you are missing something, he is soul satisfaction. I mean, he, he will give you something. That, and, and if you know what hunger is like, if you ever feel like, man, I feel like, I, I, I feel like there is something missing. And notice when we feel as something's missing, we tend to eat. You ever notice that? You ever get bored and just eat? <laughs> just, uh, okay. Um, tough room, right? Uh, <laughs> you, like, you, just, you just feel your stomach in order that you might feel your life. I mean, think about it. You're like, what do you guys want to do? You're like, you want, you want to go out to eat? <laughs> and what do you guys, you guys want to meet up next week? And we'll go out to eat, <laughs> right? Uh, I don't know. What do you want to do? I just want to want to eat, right? And uh, so you're like, it's getting close to lunch. I agree with you, right? What do we do? Sometimes we feel our gut. Why? It, it creates this chemical reaction. We send dopamine to our brain. We just want to numb our feelings. So oftentimes it is a caricature, but it is because it is true that when we are lonely, when we are locked, we tend to feel our gut trying yet what goes in the gut comes out in the drought Jesus says and he says listen man cannot live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God he says I am the bread of life you can eat and eat to your fill but like zombies it'll go in the mouth and out the gut you are dead without the bread of Life. And yet we still have this, this even in the church, we've, we've traded, we have, we have this affinity towards feeding people. Have you noticed that? That yet when Jesus says, feed my sheep to Peter, he's not talking about physical food, although yet we should meet physical needs and help feed people. But we don't project on what Jesus would do. We ask what Jesus actually did. And one day he feeds 5,000 men, not counting women and children, from a lunchable lunchbox. They come back the next day looking for a free lunch. And he says, listen, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have no part with me. And they all leave. See, even in this time, people, people have, have traded. The, the Bible says in the last days, their, their gods will be their stomachs. And yet the church is helping propagate this. That the greatest need is not food, friend. The, the, the greatest need is you need Jesus. So you go, why don't you just close down your church and meet physical? Why don't you, why don't you preach the social gospel and, and give people physical needs? Because Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So we must feed people, but we must feed people because you cannot live on bread alone you'll come back to the car line you'll come back to the line and every single day you'll need something unless you taste of the bread of life he says in chapter 8 he says I am the light of the world 
He brings, he, he illuminates for us things that we didn't see before, perspectives that we didn't have before. He, he illuminates in us what, what we need to change, what needs to be fixed. He is the light shining for all of us that if you wander into the dark, that is death and destruction, so move towards the light. See, friends, Christianity is not staying out of the dark. Christianity is running towards the light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I love this illustration in the Old Testament. It says that the word of God is like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I love that because what it says is, is that the light off in the distance gives us the general direction that we can follow. But then the lamp is only lighting for us a few steps at a time. Isn't that quite frustrating? <laughs> right? You're like, God, just tell me all of it. Yet we couldn't handle all of it. Because what we think is between here and there. If God revealed to us all the things in the middle, we only have the faith for right here and right now. And he's leading us in a way so that he will build our faith so that we can face whatever's been hidden in the dark along the way. That's pretty good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Right? A lamp into our feet. Notice that Martha is going through that very same thing. She, she has a little bit of an image of who Jesus is. She knows I'm supposed to follow him, but I don't fully know the implications of that. She'll even say to him, I know that you, that at the resurrection, and I know that God will do anything that you ask, but I only know what's right in front of me. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he asks her, do you believe it? Do you believe it even if you only have part of the story? Will you believe it only, even if you only see a, a little bit off in the distance and he only allows you to see part of the story? Because that's the problem, right? We're, we're trapped in our perspective. We're trapped on the page. And yet God's writing this grand story. And he's illuminating for us as we go along, as his word will be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. He says, I am the door in chapter 10. He's not saying that I'm an inanimate object. What he's saying is I am the only way. I'm the gateway, the doorway to relationship with God the Father, your creator who knows you and loves you and has purpose for you. And I have made a way. I've unlocked the door. I am the door. And all other doors lead to nothing and nowhere. It's like the game show hosts, like you have four doors, pick, pick the right door. And yet Jesus is saying, I am the only door. I'm the way to God. He'll say in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. He's saying, I'm the one who leads you on the path of righteousness. I'm the one who guides you. I'm the one, if you drift away, I'll leave the 99. I'll go after the one. I'll be the one protecting you, giving you what you need along the way. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am the good shepherd. When you make a boneheaded decision, I'll be there to scoop you up and bring you back into the fold. Can I just tell you that Jesus is far more concerned with your spiritual development than you are? Isn't that good news? 
right? That he, he far more is concerned about where you are and who you will be. And what you have to do is trust him along the way, focus on him. And when you see him, it will change who you are. But when you focus on you, your head will be down and you'll see nothing and you'll stumble into places that you never thought you would end up and go. Even in our best efforts to make ourselves good, we will never be good enough. So he is good for us. And he's the one who leads us and guides us on the path of righteousness. As uh, Psalms 23 says, for his name's sake, for his glory and our good, he leads and guides. He is the good shepherd. And then he makes this statement, the fifth one. I am the resurrection and the life. I mean, they believe in this idea that ultimately that, 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 that those in the last day will be raised. And he says, listen, I'm going to change your reality. I'm going to change what you perceive. I More so than, than being raised to this world, I want to show you that ultimately I am all that I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm life. What you've experienced thus far is merely existence. And yet what I want to show you, he changes our reality. He changes how we see death, how we see life, and ultimately what we value in life. See, the reality is of this passage is it's not trying to find the tips and tricks that I can get by for my week or my days. It's so that I may see that he transcends time and space and all of reality. And though this story is not about you, it is written to you and for you. And although it's his story, you have a part to play. And the implications are numerous of what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Whoever lives and believes shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe? This question is asked then, but it's, it's asked now. He's essentially saying, is, is your belief in me more than what you can get from me? Is your belief in me far beyond philosophy, ideology? What is your theology? Which simply means, what do you believe about God and this man who claimed to be God in the flesh? And if you believe it, it will change everything about you. See, belief drives behavior. What you think will ultimately change your, your will and your emotions and change your conduct. I mean, think about how, I'm not just talking about the power of positive thinking. I'm thinking about what you believe. Think about this just as an example. All of us are sitting here now and you're willfully sitting here and listening and, and your emotions, you're calm and you're not frantic. You're not running out of the room, except Tony is. Uh, <laughs> what timing. Uh, stinking good, bro. Uh, and yet, if I told you and you believed it that the building was on fire and was going to collapse, as right now, you don't believe that's going to happen. That's why you're sitting here. 
calm and your emotions follow suit with what you believe. But if the sirens are going off, the alarm system was going off, and the sprinklers were coming on, and the smell of smoke was in the air, I can tell you that beyond your will to stay calm, you would jump up and run out of here. Or if I said to you, Mom, Dad, the other building is on fire, you would leap up and you run to your children, and what you believe would then cause your will and your emotions to follow Suit, what happens starts with, do you believe? Yes, that question. That's why repentance, the start of this thing, repent and believe the gospel. What shall we do when we hear this? Repent and believe the gospel. Repent means metanoia in the Greek. It means to change the way you think so that you do something different. Change the way you think and believe the gospel. The gospel is our God has become king by way of the cross and we must follow suit. Do you believe this? Because that changes everything. That changes my emotions my will, my behavior, do I believe this? Do I believe that Jesus accomplished the payment for my sin? That Romans says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf, that I might become righteous, not because of my good deeds, as Ephesians 2 would tell me, so that I can boast, that I can sit here and go, man, I go to church and I did all the right things. No, I was dead in my trespasses and sin. Man, I was a walking zombie consuming those around me. And why did Christ die? So that I could join him in his death. Why? So I could join him in his life. See, in order to live, we all must die. In order to live, we must put to death the old us and we must be raised anew with him. This is metaphorical, but it is very real. And that Lazarus is not still walking around after he's raised. That all have been appointed. And yet, I am the resurrection and the life changes our concept of death. It changes it and moves it from a finite thing. It's final. It's done. No, it moves it to a minuscule doorway moving from life to life. It's merely a transition. Do you believe this? Because he is the resurrection and the life. And now all of a sudden my will and my emotions change. You say, man, I'm having a hard time with my emotions. Then look at the person of Jesus who says, I am that I am. You say, man, I'm so conflicted with the world around me. I, I, I feel lost. I feel lonely. He is the bread of life. I don't know where to go. I am the good Shepherd, I feel like I've been locked out. I feel like nothing has opened up for me. I feel like life has shut down. I am the door. You want to have your will and your emotions follow suit, begin to behold the person of Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. See, Jesus is the object of our affections and our worship, and it changes everything. See, there's two camps with this thing. People look at stories like this, and, and it's kind of from both sides of the spectrum. People look at this, and, and, and I recently heard a, a pastor who is preaching. See, you can tell Jesus stories, friends, and you can tell it to people who think they're following Jesus, but you can miss the point of Jesus. Amen? So 
I recently heard a sermon from a pastor. And he said, he said, see, Jesus was not concerned with ultimately starting a new religion or a new belief system. He was, he was concerned with starting a new way of life. And on the surface, I may agree with that. Then he says, but see, you don't have to be, sometimes that happens through Christianity, but sometimes it happens through Buddhism. Sometimes it happens through Islam. And sometimes it happens through Hinduism. See, Jesus is not concerned with how you get to this way of life, just ultimately that you will model in his way of life. Well, what way of life is he talking about? He, he's talking about this, this, this way of love. And what do you mean by love? Love without correction, because there is no love without correction. I'm gonna get an amen from some parents around here if you love your kids. It's, it's about inclusion and tolerance. And yet Jesus does not do any of those things. He actually says that I didn't come to create peace, but what I will do will create war. I'll turn families upside down, mothers against daughters, fathers against sons. People will not understand. When you say Jesus is not concerned with you seeing him, but ultimately the way, a way of life, Jesus will say, I am the way, and there is no other way. Jesus is not giving you the bad news from his perspective. He's giving you the bad news from reality. No one else is coming, and all else fail. No one's able to save. No one's able to deliver. There is no other belief system that will cause a radical transformation uh, to, to put to death the old us so that there could be a new us born again. No other worldview, no other religion, no other belief system puts forth this radical transformation. Everything else is merely good advice. And good advice presumes on your ability to keep that good advice. And let me tell you, you can have the best advice and you know you, you'll never quite keep it. So I need to be joined in his death. That's why baptism is so important. We, we not just believe in this new moral good that we've escaped out of it, but we join with it. So we are united in his death, his burial, so that we can be raised again to new life. That's the whole point of this symbol of baptism. And yet, this guy says, ultimately, it's not about Jesus being the object of our worship, but the model for our behavior. Well, then there's the other side of that. And there's people on the, what I call the, the spooky and the kooky, you know? These hyper-charismatics that, that, yeah, I want to I I follow Jesus. And, and so they, they have an extreme focus on miracles or raising the dead. And so they think, well, I'll model Jesus' behavior and I'll do what Jesus did. And yet, not all miracles are created equal. But what Jesus does here is a sign and a wonder. You know what signs do? I'm giving you a hint. You're good. <laughs> signs point to something. Point, what are they pointing to? John writes it and Tyler echoes it with his golden voice on the bumper, right? I write these that you may believe <laughs> that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, 
you may have life in his name. Why did God do this miracle? Yet it was for a moment, he says, so that the Son of God may be glorified, that you may see him, that he has power. And ultimately, this is merely a glimpse. This is going to be the thing that gets him killed. But the inauguration and the transformation will be that for years he's predicted his own death. He has said, I laid down my life. No one takes it from me, but I'll pick it back up again. He calls his own shot and he pulls off Easter. He's laid in a borrowed tomb because he's only going to need it for the weekend. And he's raised to new life and he changed human history. The world is fundamentally different. We measure time based on it. At one time, the cross was the symbol for Roman execution. And now it's on a first aid kit, on a lifeguard stand. And it means hope. It means salvation. And only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus who moves us from death to life could change people like that. But yet, you have to ask the question, do I believe it? Do I believe it? Will I believe it in such a way that my will and my emotions follow suit? Will I take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ acknowledging it, that he is king and Lord. So then that changes the very fabric of reality and how I see the world around me. It's not merely for good feelings and good deeds. It is so that I may see him, know him, and have knowledge of the power of his resurrection. But all of a sudden he gives hope that you can't possibly explain and joy that passes our very understanding. As Philippians will say this, that he gives peace that passes all understanding. He'll give people throughout time because they believe. They have a little bit of the story. Some of it's lit up. They don't fully know the whole story, but they know where we're going, and they'll trust in that. Those Characters in the Old Testament, they were hoping in the future. We hope in the past. But this story is this one isolated story. Jesus didn't do this all the time. He did it this time. Why? So that we can believe that God raises the dead? He absolutely does. But what he's showing us through this is that what you perceive is life and death. What you perceive as existence. You're trapped on a page, friend. And there's this grand story, and the story God is writing is bigger than the page you're living on. Do you believe that He is the resurrection and the life? And that there's life that death can't stop? And if so, if so, it will change everything for us. Let me tell you that the shortest verse in the Bible comes in this particular passage. Now, verses were added later, but it's these two words that give us a glimpse of the character and nature of who Jesus is. Verse 35 simply says this, Jesus wept. You have to ask the question, why did you? Jesus knew the story. Jesus knew that he was going to raise him. 
Jesus knew the totality of it. Why did he weep? He weeps for us who are stuck in the here and not yet. Because he knows the pain of what it means to walk this thing out. He knows that it's going to be difficult to only know a few steps at, the time, at a time. He knows it's going to be difficult when you feel like you're on a tough page and you don't know the whole story. He knows it's going to be difficult when you feel powerless and hopeless and you're left with faith to trust in him. But hope does not disappoint. He weeps. He's not absent from your pain. He knows. And he's simply there with us in our pain. Even though he knows this pain is not permanent. And this pain will be used for his purpose. For his glory. And the good of others. But know that he feels deeply with you. He weeps knowing that you're stuck and you don't have his perspective. And yet he's not absent from it. He doesn't tell you to get over it. He doesn't tell you to simply move on. He doesn't tell you, hey, toughen up. It says, he doesn't criticize Mary and Martha for weeping or grieving. He sits down in the dirt and weeps with them. He knows it's hard. Hebrews says we do not have a great high priest who's ignorant to our suffering, but he's tempted in all ways. Yet he did not sin. Why? So that God could make him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might rise again to righteousness with him. We must convince ourselves. We must plead with ourselves. We must immerse ourselves in the gospel, the good news, so that our mind will be set on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because sometimes we get locked in the page and we hold on to things we should never be holding on to. It's hard, right? We get fixated on what we have or what we want. We hold on to this world even though we believe there's more than this world. We get trapped in our perspective and, and our emotions follow suit. Fear and anxiety and depression because we have held on to this world. Jesus says, love not the world or the things of it. Because there's more than this. There's more than the stuff of future garage sales, friends. It's tough, right? It's happened to me. I remember it was seven years ago. Seven years ago, I got a call from a pastor and I've been waiting on this call to interview for this church. Uh, a small town starts with a B somewhere between Santa Maria and Santa Barbara. I don't remember the name. I got, I got this call and they, it was in October, seven years ago, and they asked me to come interview and they were setting up the interview for December and I was so excited, I rushed home and I jumped out of the car to go in and tell my wife that we were, uh, we, were we got the interview and we're going and, and 
in my excitement, I, I forgot to close the door back to my truck and I never went back outside. And, and uh, the next morning I got up and my truck door was open and my leather bag was in there that, that had my Bible and it had my iPad mini. It was really my wife's that I'd bought her for her birthday and then uh, was borrowing it and she's still upset about it. And, and my Ray-Bans were in there. Man, and it's gone, stolen out of my truck. You see a pattern with my life. Uh, anyways, I'm so frustrated. I mean, I got in the truck and I left and this is back when I needed to go to the barber. I don't know why that's funny, but, uh, and I walked in, oh, this is my favorite, but man, most of the time there's a line out the door for this barbershop. These two guys, man, they're cool guys. I mean, they're tatted up and, and hip and, and, but there's no line. And I just walk in and they know me as Pastor Sam and I walk in, they're like, what's up, Pastor Sam? How's it going? And I won't tell you what I said. Uh, they're like, whoa, <laughs> like, uh, don't judge me for dropping explicits in the barbershop. Anyways, uh, and like, whoa, sit down, Pastor Sam. Just gonna like call somebody like, like they're looking up from what I just said. They're afraid lightning's going to strike me in the barbershop. Like, I don't think a pastor should talk like that. You know, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm mad, dude. And they're like, sit down, tell us what's going on. And like, man, my, my truck, my stuff got stolen out of my truck and Man, my, my, uh, my iPad was in there and, and, uh, and my Ray-Bans and, and then I, you know, my Bible was in there. I just got that Bible and it's this brown leather Bible and it's kind of old school. It has this strap around it that I, I'd, uh, I got to open it up like a journal and in, inside it has this column and different columns. And as I preach in different passages, I'll, I'll write in the columns, but how I write in the front of the book is I'm, I'm going to pass this Bible down someday. And in it, it says, this Bible is, and I wrote, your daddy's. And, and I thought, man, someday when my kids, uh, years of preaching through the Bible, they'll be like, man, what did my dad think about this verse? And they'll be able to turn to that verse and, and there'll be commentary for me in the margins. And I thought, man, I just, I, I, I've started that. I mean, I'm not that far. It's pretty new and I'm not that far along. I can get another one, but it just really bums me out that, that you know, but, and the guy stops and he's like, what? I said, you're going to do what with that Bible? And all of a sudden it just begins to grip. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but my iPad was in there too, you know? And uh, he's like, well, tell, tell me what you, man, that just, that just really ticks me off. Now he's getting mad and he says this. He goes, I'm just going to pray. And I don't even know that the guy was a believer, but he goes, I'm going to pray that when you leave here, it's just going to turn up. And I was like, yeah. Prayer doesn't work like that, bro. All right. And I was like, you know, don't you think that it'd be better if I said the prayer? I mean, I am the pastor, right? And he's like, after what you said, I don't think he's listening to you right now. You better hope he's not listening right now, you know? It's like, I, I think you're out of credit right now. Uh, I just prayed. I was like, all right, whatever, man, that's cool. I can get a new one. I leave and I drive into my neighborhood. And ours is the first house on the street that leads to a little cul-de-sac. And I see my neighbors are outside. 
And I, we're pretty new to the area, and so I haven't met most of them. And they, they walk up, and they're like, hey, are you Jonathan? Which is my first name. And, and, and he goes, yeah, like your, your stuff is in the bushes at the end of the street. I was like, you're kidding. Like, yeah, I was like, okay. And they're like, we saw, we didn't touch anything, but we saw uh, some of your mail and it had your name on it. That's how we knew it was yours. So I, I walk up and there is my, my leather bag with stuff out and there was my Bible just sitting on top of the bag. And I was immediately like, where's the iPad? <laughs> It's like, where are my stinking Ray-Bans, right? Right? Let's just be honest, friends. There's some things that we hold on to, but the point is that we would, we would hold on to this book, and this book would show us the person of Jesus, and we would hold it, and we would love it, and we would hold on to nothing else because we would see that he is actually the resurrection and the life, and when we believe it. I'm telling you, things will change, friend. It was that week, and it's just interesting that it was six years ago, I was actually, when I got the call to come here, seven years ago, lead pastor this weekend is the sixth year. And the sermon that I sent in when they were interviewing was this passage seven years ago. It was a sermon that I preached at the memorial for a six-month-old baby. And if you've ever heard me say these words, it was seven years ago when I felt like God deposited in my heart that the story God is writing is bigger than the page you're living on. It's his story, our part. I don't have all the answers. I know that life, in this life, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? Because when you do, this will be more than good feelings and good deeds. You realize he is the hope of all of humanity. And he weeps with you, friend. And he lives with you in the here and not yet. But the story's not over. And it will be for his glory and the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Answer the call. Love him with everything you have. Hold on to what he says. And that will change everything. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, you are good and you are good to us. This life is difficult and praise be to God, there's more than this life. As this life is merely a moment, it's here and it's gone. Let us hold fast to the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us stand firm, not walking by sight, but walking by faith.
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My prayer, Lord Jesus, is that as I've preached as best I can to adequately communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you lived and died and you rose again. And we follow you. We join you in death and we join you in life. Because right now what we know is existence and what you long for us is to experience eternal life. Life that death can't stop. Life that this world cannot get a grip on. That will hold on to nothing. Our values, our, our principles will change. We'll not look for more that we can have, but more that we can give, more that we can serve, more that we can do in order that more and more people may see you and know you in the knowledge of your resurrection power. Help us today. Not to simply live as good Christians, but to live as radical believers. The belief that you are the resurrection and the life. We love you. We praise you. Let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?